Okay, today's reading comes from John chapter 12, verse 24 to 28. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, or because one grain died. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. But those who detach their life from this world and abandon themselves to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favour upon your life. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial. For I have come to fulfil my purpose, to offer myself to God. So, Father, bring glory to your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. Um, Over the last few weeks, we have been in this series on desire. We've spoken about how our faith is not worked out in a vacuum, uh, but in the worlds between uh, the desires of the spirit and the flesh, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God, between light and darkness. And as a result, our formation, meaning who you are becoming, uh, is worked out in contested ground. You know, we are filled, each one of us, with desires, some of which are God's good desiring within us, which you were created for, for joy, for life, for freedom. But we also have desires that are harmful and lead to our destruction, sometimes in obvious ways, but most often in small, subtle ways that if left unattended, if left uh, being, uh, with room to grow over time, they will lead us away from God's good design for each of our lives. And so, in our final instalment uh, today, we are talking about money. Can I get an amen? Yes. Whoa, come on, yeah! What a topic to come to church for. Um, You know, we talk about the principle of giving generously a couple of times a year, and we do that, we attach it to our vision to follow the way of Jesus, playing our part in the renewal of this city and beyond. And whether on Vision Sundays or now, I just want to say that my motivation for talking about money is never really to raise it. It is always because I long for you to experience the freedom and the joy of living a generous and self-giving, loving lifestyle. I care about this ultimately because money is a matter of the heart and your heart matters. It matters to us as your community and it matters to God. And so I'm aware as I kind of launch into, I thought I'd just you know, get, get the hat cat out of the bag. As we launch into a talk on money, I'm aware that this is a highly emotional and sometimes complex topic for us to talk about. Many of us in the room, this is a difficult area for us. And I just want you to know, that as your vicar here, uh, that we are here for you. 
We, uh, we, are, we stand with you, we stand beside you, and we pray for each of you. And if, particularly in this area of money and finance, if you would like to talk to someone, please come and say hello. Come find me or, or drop me an email. Uh, we've got many ways that we can draw alongside you in practical uh, as well as uh, pastoral support. And so please do not suffer in silence. Um, But for all of us in the room, here's two bits of good news. The first bit of good news is that I am not specifically going to ask you for money at the end of this talk. Can I get another amen? Um, Yeah, round of applause. Um, And some much, much better news for you today is that in the way of Jesus, that Jesus brings abundance and the freedom that we all long for in the riches of his grace and the generosity of his love. And so that's where we're going to land. But let us start where we started this whole series off uh, with St. Augustine, who is this uh, cheerful fellow, is the uh, bishop um, in northern Africa, St. Augustine of Hippo. We started a few weeks back looking at how um, St. Augustine said that the four main arenas that our desire and our formation are contested are in the areas of status, power, pleasure, and money. These are the four um, ways that our desires are contested, four main ways that our desires are contested because each of them have the illusion of being God. They offer something that we want, but they don't actually have the power to give it to us, which is what the Bible describes as an idol. So although money is not good or bad in and of itself, it so easily becomes an idol in our lives because money can be made to look so attractive. The attraction of a good life free from financial worries and stress. The ability to to buy what we want when we want it. The ability to spend our way through our bucket list of dreams. To get the next best, newest, most stylish thing. You know, money has been made so attractive because our culture has totally bought into the idolization of money. You think about the the world's messaging and what is most valuable uh, around us or how adverts work or how cultural conversations play out online or in the pub, it's this, that money is your primary sign of success and status. That money is yours and yours alone. That your well-earned money is yours and you deserve to spend it on yourself or on what you feel best and freely able to do, or money is a means to achieve your dreams and find you happiness, and it is constantly used as the yardstick of comparison to either feel jealous of others or to feel better than others. And this is a huge problem for you and me, that this is the world that we live in, and these are the messages that we receive daily, and this is a problem because of this. Money is making you promises it cannot keep. Money makes promises it cannot keep. You see, it it speaks to our deepest desires, not just the like, I want a nice holiday, 
but it speaks to our deepest desires, our longing for security, our longing for status or success, power, pleasure, position, or just comfort. But it will never deliver on any of those things, no matter how much you have of it, for it does not have power in and of itself to give you life and life abundantly. You know, we want security and peace and a peace of mind and we want status because that's how you were designed. You were designed to live in a place of security and abundance. We want all uh, that. We want all of those good things because you were designed for an abundant, joyful, peaceful, content relationship with God. But so often we look for it in the wrong places. So often we disorder our desires or we misalign our desires for the thing that we were truly made for to the thing that's a little bit easier, a little bit cheaper, and a little less costly. That is the place where our formation is contested. In the disorder of our desire, there is contested ground where we go for the cheaper imitations that are claiming to offer you life and security. And as a result, we take things into our own hands. Uh, A few months ago, our four-year-old son uh, turned to me when we were away uh, and said, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to be really, really rich. (laughs) Quite taken back and surprised by this newfound ideology, which I don't know where he's got that from. Um, uh, And I asked him, oh yeah, and how are you going to do that? How are you going to become really, really rich? And he uh, looked at me and just slowly clenched his fist, raised it into the air, and said, just like this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, gosh, even the world's got to our four-year-old. But, um, you know, it's one of the main root dangers when it comes to money, and one of the main conflicts that we feel in our contested spirits is this. We desire control. We desire to take things into our own hands, to say what is what, to say what is good, to say what is bad, to, say, to control and control. And this is often how it plays out with money. We think that money can create space and comfort and distance between the challenges and the annoyances of life. And what that does is, as we pursue the accumulation of money, it can create this illusionary blanket around our place and our position in the world, and it makes us think we are actually in control until we're not, until there's an economic downturn, until you lose your job, until there's a health scare, until there's a relationship breakdown or until you don't actually have money. And then the reverse is true. We think that the only way of having that security blanket is by having what we don't yet have. And and what that is called and what the Bible describes that is living out of a scarcity mindset. 
that I don't have enough, I don't have what I need, I can't put my trust in God. And when we get caught in that kind of spiral, it caused, uh, caused by our desire for control, to get this, to have that, to be happy with just a little bit more. It's harder for me because I don't quite have enough. If only I had more. When we get caught in those kinds of spirals, our hearts are formed in this contested ground where the prevailing message around us is get as much as you can, more, more, more. But the way to true life and freedom is found in something so much different and so much richer, which is why we have had this reading for us today. Verse 25 says this, anyone who holds on to their life just as it is destroys that life. But those who detach their life from this world and abandon themselves to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. Jesus, speaking to his disciples here in John 12, introduces this new idea to them, living out of control. Living out of control, saying, if you really want to find freedom in this life, come to terms with the fact that your grasping at control is an illusion. You will never fully be in control. If you want true peace, freedom, true power, and ultimately true wealth, it is only ever found in trusting the author and perfecter of life. Trusting the the author and perfecter of our universe with your head, your heart, and what you have in your hands. So the issue that we have is that living out of control is terrifying. Who wants to do that? I um, uh, was reminded as I was thinking about this that um, I was involved a few years back um, uh, in a, an accident uh, where there was a head-on collision. I was um, in a, on a bicycle uh, and I had a head-on collision with a, a stationary unmanned parked vehicle. <laughs> uh, how it happens, um, it was... It was like 50-50 uh, in terms of who was, who was at fault. But I came round a corner. I thought that I could take it a bit quicker than I could, and it was a little bit wet. Uh, and the bike came out underneath me, uh, and I went head-on, 50-50, as I said, head-on uh, straight into this parked vehicle on the side of the road. But that moment where the, where the bike comes out from underneath you, and all of a sudden there's like no grip around you, and you're just hurtling through the air, it's terrifying. It's that moment where I have completely lost control. There is now nothing that I can do to stop myself hurtling into this parked vehicle. You know, being out of control, living out of control is scary. I think it reveals one of the issues that lies at the core of control, that control is really an issue of fear. You see, when we think about, uh, seriously, about the complexities of this particular time in history that you and I live in, and we realize all that could possibly go wrong, even just today, it is no surprise that we are gripped by a spirit of fear and a spirit to control. That can creep into our hearts, into our minds, into our relationships, into our habits, and into our management of money 
and our planning for the future. But as hard as it is, fear never brings freedom. Fear only ever leads to more slavery. It never brings you life. As David Benner writes this, Canadian philosopher, um, ah, there, somewhere. there we go. Um, fearful people live within restrictive boundaries. People who live in fear feel compelled to remain in control. They attempt to control themselves and they attempt to control their world, often despite their best intention, that spills over into efforts to control others. So what do we do? When we are surrounded by this kind of messaging, when we, uh, like normal people, don't really want to live out of control because it's scary or there's so much fear. And what do we do when we really want our lives to count, to count for purpose and to make a mark on the world, to be a force for good for the world around us, when we really long and we have these deep desires to live in love and with joy and with peace? Well, I think Jesus gives us the answer because we come back to the second half of that sentence. Those who grasp control of their life, those who try and grab onto life, they will lose it. But, verse 25, part two, but those who detach, those who detach their life from this world and abandon themselves to me will find true life and get this, enjoy it forever. If you want to find freedom from the desire of controlling your life, if you want to find freedom from the turmoil of the constant worry and fear of do I have enough? Am I enough? Can I get enough? Well then respond to this invitation to walk in the spirit of surrender the willful choice of the heart to offer your life into God's hands, to abandon yourself, to find true life and enjoy it. John Tyson summarizes it like this. Surrender is that beautiful posture of the heart in which we humbly climb off the throne of our own lives and invite the one who rightfully belongs there to take our place. Instead of seeing sovereignty over ourselves, meaning instead of seeing that we are the rulers of ourselves and our little kingdoms, we trust the one who is over all things and rest in his good intentions for our lives. Those whom abandon themselves to me will find life and enjoy it forever. What a surprising route to life and enjoyment. Surrender to Jesus is not a loss, but it is victory that leads to freedom. Um, I want to um, give you an analogy which um, I'm hoping that works. I have not practiced this, so go with it. You might need to use your imagination as well. Um, imagine with me for a second that in your hand here, Imagine you kind of holding tight to the things of your life in your hand, the things that you spend time worrying about, 
the things that you find hard to trust God with. And let's just chuck it in there. Your money, your future, your health, all of the things that you hold dearly to in your life, where you seek control, where you seek to play Lord over your life your finances, your future, your children's education, your image, your reputation, your sense of self-worth. And now imagine that this jug represents the Spirit of God, His presence, His provision, His healing power, His voice, His blessing and favour. And the Spirit of God is being poured out over your life. He's saying, like, I love you, I'm for you. I want good things for your life. Uh, But look at the things that you're holding on to. They're hard to get at, right? The Spirit is being given and poured out, but it's not being received. Goodness, generosity is being poured out, but we're not giving the Spirit access to the things that we are holding on tightly to. Verse 25 Anyone who holds on to their life will destroy it. Your attempt at control is suffocating your life. Grip is too tight. But those who detach their life from this world and abandon themselves to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. You see, living a life of surrender is loosening the grip of control over your life and living with an open hand an open heart posture. You see, when you live with an open-handed surrender, look at what the Spirit has access to now. Your finances, the Spirit pours in and says, trust me, I'm for you, I've got good things for you. To your future, the Spirit pours in and says, trust me, I am with you, I will have good things and plans for your life. Trust me with your image because I, you are loved, you are a beloved child of mine. And with your family, trust me, for I am the perfect father in your health. Trust me, I am the perfect physician, and so on, and so on. And here's the best bit, that the Spirit of God is not this jug. The Spirit of God never runs out. It will always overflow with abundance and grace and more and more peace and joy for your life. Verse 26, if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favour upon your life. The Father will shower his favour upon you. You see, when it comes to finances and when we talk about living a life of surrender, please hear me on this. What I'm not advocating for is for you tomorrow morning uh, to go into your bank waving a white flag and be like, I surrender. Um, That's not what I am saying. And nor am I saying that living with an open hand uh, of surrender, of trusting in God is not a guarantee for success and happiness. Once you like achieve surrender, then you'll be financially blessed. That's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying, it's a shift of perspective. From everything that I have is mine to everything I have is received as gift. From the good, perfect Father who showers his goodness and grace upon his children. 
ultimately uh, living with an open hand. It's changing the compass of your heart from the compass of control, meaning that's what you're led by, to the compass that is pointed towards Jesus' kingdom vision and values, the prioritization of the vulnerable, seeking justice, building the church, wisely stewarding all that you've been given in humility and faithfulness. And this is why I believe that we were not given a map for life, but we were given a guide so that we could set the compass of our hearts and align it with the Spirit who pours himself out abundantly on you and me. For if you're willing to let God pour his Spirit into you, you will reap a harvest of his presence and his goodness every single day of your life. We're reminded of the famous line in Luke 23, verse 46, where Jesus says this, Father, on the cross, Father, into your hands I surrender my spirit. This is a pathway that has been made possible for us by Jesus. That in his surrender, he has offered himself on the cross for you. His open-handed surrender gave you the option of life so that you can find freedom from your sin and your brokenness and that in his resurrection, empowered by his grace, you can start to reorder the desire of your life around his life-giving love for you. So, what would it look like for you to live with an open hand? with your money, your future, your worry, your heart, your conversations, your relationships? What would it look like for the compass of your life to be kingdom first? Lord, would you lead me? Lord, your will be done and not mine. And so as we land this talk, both this talk as well as uh, the end of this series, Let me ask you this. What do you most deeply desire? What do you most deeply long for? Because if you desire to find the truest wealth on offer that leads to freedom, if you long for a deep sense of security and self-worth, that your status would be set in the most secure of places. If you desire a life-giving and health-producing power to be a force for good for the world around you, if you long for a life of joy, of pleasure and abundance, then in the contested ground of your formation, day by day, moment by moment, little prayer by little prayer, filled with the presence of Jesus, will then allow the grip of your life that is a spirit of fear and control to be loosened by his grace, by his goodness, by his generous love for you as you follow him with an open-handed surrender. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this By coming to know Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, Amen. If you're able, I'd love for you to stand um, as we respond. And we've got a little bit more time, and we're going to do something um, slightly differently and then offer uh, you, um, we'd love to stand with you and pray for you. Um, Just whilst we're in this moment, I'd love for you to just, um, uh, we're going to try a prayer practice. This has been practiced by um, uh, communities of prayer for thousands of years. It's, It's called Hands Up. Hands down, hands up. And uh, I'm going to lead you through it. And I just want to encourage you to engage with this. And we kind of use it as like a thoughtful process to, uh, to pray through some of the things that we've been thinking about, uh, as well as, as you consider your life and your formation. Um, and so if you can, um, we're all just going to put our hands out in front of us like this. And as you do... Might help, might help you to just kind of have your uh, eyes closed. It's helpful just not to be distracted by the things in front of you. Um, as you do, just imagine your entire life in the palms of your hands. All of its joys and all of its pain. All of its disappointments, all of its breakthrough, the good, the bad, the ugly. And just as we uh, just pause and linger here for a moment, maybe just allow God to bring a few things to mind for you. Even if you just like picture, it might even be that you have some moments just kind of flash before you and you're reminded of some things, some relationships, some moments in your life. And then um, with your eyes close, just, um, just turn the palms of your hands to place them on the floor. And with our hands down, what I want you to, uh, to see is you dropping your life at the foot of the cross. All of its joys, all of its pain, all of its disappointments, all of its breakthroughs, all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, we lay our life down before you. All of the things that we grip tightly to, all of the things that we desire to control, all of our worries and our concerns and our doubts, Lord, we drop them. We place them before you where you are big enough and good enough to take them. And now as you renew our spirit, we turn our palms back to the skies. And Lord, with open hands, would you fill us afresh, freed from the worries, freed from the concerns, and open-handed, loose grip, fill us with wisdom. Fill us with your power. Come, Holy Spirit.